here behind the pulpit. So I just want to say thank you to the elder board. Um, thank you for, for allowing me the last couple of weeks to not have to worry about preparing a sermon weekly so that I could focus on my ordination paper, which I printed out this week. It's only 29 pages long, so it's a, a short little read. But it's just a doctrinal statement of what I believe about the Bible. Everything that was up here, I had to get down on paper. And uh, I have a very scattered brain, and it took a while to organize my thoughts. But praise God, it was done, and it is finished. So I'd also like to thank you as a church for being uh, generous and gracious and allowing other pastors, other preachers, our, our elders to, to handle the, the Word of God and for giving me a little bit of a pause. Um, so thank you for your patience. And, and I'm back, and um, I'll, I'll be preaching up until my ordination day, which is going to be Sunday, October 15th. I believe the 15th, that's the Sunday. And what that'll be, it'll be a regular church service. After the church service at 1 o'clock, the church, you are invited to come and, and, and watch and to listen. At 1 o'clock after our service will be my ordination, um, which will look like a Q&A, and I'll get um, just questioned by some local pastors and, and elders and, and people and as we go through some of the things of why I believe what I believe and, and how I would shepherd in, in certain situations. So as a church body, you're more than welcome to come. You, you just sit and watch. There's no need to have any questions or come up with questions. You could ask me questions after individually, but not in that, in that context. So we've been going through the book of John, verse by verse, line by line for a while. And before the summer started, I did want to break away in September for a few weeks just to talk about different ways that we can worship the Lord. And then this past week, I was like, do I go back to John because I really miss it and, and I want to continue through it. And, and somebody came up to me and said, you're going through John, right? You're not going to ditch me in John? And I was like, yes, we'll, 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 we'll do it. I'm not going to forget about John's gospel. But somebody asked me a question which led to today's sermon, which will lead and, and, and be the foundation for where we'll be the next couple of weeks. As I was visiting Charlie in the rehab facility, his roommate asked, what is your church all about? I said, that's a great question. I, I was a little taken back because I'm like, uh, okay, there's so many answers. What, what could I say? What is, what is our church all about? And I, what I want you as a church to do, either... In your bulletin, you could take a pencil and write down your answer, or if you have your phone, go to your note section, put it in your note, in your note section. I want you to take 10 seconds, answer this question. If somebody came up to you and said, what is your church about? Personalize it. What is New Village Church about? How would you answer that question? I'll give you a few moments. Please, like, physically write your answers down, and I want you to save it. You could put it in your pocket. Don't throw it away. Because if you come on Wednesday night, we're going to discuss this question and answer together. But what is your church about? As someone in ministry, I've had the privilege of being a part of a lot of local churches. When I was in college, when I wasn't, when I graduated, um, doing retreats and meeting all different pastors and youth ministers and youth pastors. Some questions could be, or some answers to this question, well, well, my church is all about worship. Okay. My church is all about the music. We have an excellent music worship team. They're phenomenal. Or my church is all about outreach. Every month, every week, we hold these huge outreaches for the community and people come. Or my church is all about fellowship. Every week or every day, we, we meet and we discuss the Word of God. We have meals together. 
Or my church is all about evangelism and discipleship. We go out and we preach the gospel on the street corners. Or we, every Sunday we gather for discipleship classes. Right? None of those are bad answers. Those are good things. But I would argue this, it misses the biblical answer. So this morning we're going to look at what is the church about? What is our church about? And think back to Sunday school. Don't overthink it. When you go back to Sunday school time when you were little, 99.9% of the time, one answer would almost be the right answer every time. Jesus. Right? When in doubt, you just say Jesus. And I'm going to argue, our church, the church, should be about Jesus Christ. It, it is that simple. This is not a trick question. It's simple. Our mission statement, I don't know if you realize this, but our church has a mission statement. I think it's printed in the bulletins. I believe it is towards the bottom where the order of service is. But this is what our mission statement says. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who treasure, who live out, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you caught that, but what is our mission? What is New Villages Church's mission? To glorify God. To praise God. It's all about God. And how do we do that? There's a threefold answer there. You make disciples as building relationships by living it out, by showing godliness, by being salt and light to others through our behaviors. And then lastly, proclaiming the gospel, evangelism, teaching others about Jesus. And how is that all possible? What fuels us? Who fuels us? Who encourages us? Who gives us the power? The Holy Spirit. So over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is I want to walk through the different ways that we as a church worship God. Because if our church is all about Jesus, then that means we worship God. We worship Jesus. And specifically, I want to focus on four elements of worship. Next week, we'll talk about singing. The week after, we'll talk about prayer. Then we'll, go about, we'll talk about tithing. And we'll talk about serving. And each one of those weeks, it's going to be slightly different. When we talk about singing, I want to add a couple more worship songs. The sermon might be a little shorter, but I want to focus more on song and talk about why we sing out to the Lord. When we get to the prayer, I want to have some prayer time amongst the church with each other, corporate prayer. When it gets to tithing, we're going to pass the offering plate again, around again. I'm just kidding, that was a joke. You can laugh, seeing if you're, seeing if you're awake. Okay, we're, we're awake this morning, we're laughing. All right, we're not going to do that. When we talk about serving, we're going to talk about what that looks like and why it's important. So today, simply, what is our church? What is New Village Church about? It's Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to look through some Bible verses. Yes, it's going to be thematic this morning, and I don't like preaching every sermon thematically, but we're going to get back to John's Gospel, which is expositional preaching verse by verse. But we're going to go through a lot of verses together, and I want you to understand I'm not making this up. I'm not up here saying these are traditions our church has held for 200 years. That's why we do them. No, no, no. It's because it's in God's Word. That's why we do these things. And also I want to point out, I'm going to say the word church a lot. And what I might talk about is the local church. And when I talk about the local church, that means everybody here this morning. New Village Church in Lake Grove, this body of believers. And then I'm going to talk about the global church. And what that is, is all believers from past, present, and future who are what? In Christ. Right? It extends past this little community, past our town, but all throughout the world. The local, the local church is here. The global church is everyone who is in Christ as a believer. So again, what is our church about? It's about Jesus. And the first question would be, well, why? 
Why, why is it about Jesus? What makes Him so important? What makes it so, Him so worthy? Number one in your notes, we'll see that the church belongs to Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13 is where we'll start. The church belongs to Jesus. I'm not making this up. It's in God's Word. Matthew 16, verse 13. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's saying, who do people say that I am? And His disciples said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church." and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now if we go back to verse 18, and I'm going to add a little bit of emphasis on there. Verse 18, Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So according to Jesus, who does the church belong to? It's His. I will build my church. Sometimes ministers who are prideful, right? pastors are not perfect. Pastors are sinners who, who need Jesus' grace just as much as anybody else in the world does. We're not perfect. Sometimes our pride and our ego, our arrogance forgets, this is not my church. This is not it's not their church. This is Christ's church. Right? We belong to Him. The church belongs to Jesus. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 22. We're going to see what Paul talks about. And Paul's going to give us a more intimate relationship and an intimate understanding between the relationship between Jesus Christ and His church. So Ephesians chapter 5. We were actually in this session on Father's Day a few months ago in June, and we looked at some applications about how a husband should treat his wife in the context of marriage, how to be a biblical, godly husband. But Paul is using that as an example. He's using that as a metaphor, and the main purpose of this, of this passage, it talks about the relationship between Jesus and the church. Ephesians 5, we'll start in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present the church in himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cher cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall be flesh. Now here it is. This is the mystery. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So what Paul has just revealed, this mystery, the relationship between the global church, all those who are in Christ, are known as the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. As a wife submits to their husband, the church submits to Christ. As a, wife, uh, sorry, as a husband is called to sacrificially love his wife, even to death, we see that what Christ gave up his life for his bride. If you go back to verse 25, here we see the gospel on display. Why does Jesus do this? Right, Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present to the church himself in splendor. Oh, sorry, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There we have the doctrine of justification. What has Jesus done for us? He's justified us. He gave up his life, what? So that sinners can be redeemed. So that as sinners, we can be presented to the Lord of lords, the, the creator of all, as holy and without blemish. And please, please hear me say, it's not anything we do. Right? Don't think that you can just live your life and say, well, I'm such a good person that God's going to love me. Man, I'm going to add so much to heaven because, man, whew, he's ha I'm, I'm so glad that I'm a good person. The Bible's clear. Even our best version of ourselves, the best things we do, are disgusting, filthy rags to the Lord. So it's not what we do, but rather what Christ has done for us. There's the gospel moment that Paul reveals between Christ and his bride. So that Christ can take us full of sin, full of wrinkles, full of blemishes, full of the sin that stained our hearts and what present us as a holy bride having been cleansed by His blood, nothing we've done. You don't have to turn there. If you want, you can. But in Hosea chapter 2, I found this verse pretty interesting. Hosea 2, verse 16 to 23. If you want to jot that down, Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. Here we see God using, through Hosea, the same language. We're going to see marriage. We're going to see husband. We're going to see the word betrothed. Hosea 2.16, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. Now Baal's a false god that pagans worshipped. For I will remove the names of Baal from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant, and on that day, with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground, and I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. And here it is. Notice the language. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Right? Notice that language. The marriage language there. Throughout Je or through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, 
we read in Titus chapter 2 that Jesus gave Himself up to redeem us from all unlawlessness or from, uh, to purify for Himself a people of His own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, that language, a people for His own possession. Who does the church belong to? Jesus Christ. We're His bride. And lastly, turn to Revelation chapter 2, the very last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you first had. This is a warning that Jesus has to the church. A warning to remain faithful. Remain a faithful bride. Don't abandon the love of Christ. And again, I want to be clear, and why am I reading so much of these verses? I'm not making this up. This is not just for New Village Church. If you go to any church, this is what the church should be all about. Jesus Christ. Why? Because the church belongs to them. Not you, not the leadership, not me, not the pastor. Belongs to Jesus. We're His bride. He sacrificially bought us at the cross when He gave up His life in love, to cleanse, to purify, to redeem and sanctify us. And as we know this truth, right? most of us might know this, it might be a reminder, but what does it mean for us here in the local church at New Village Church? What does this mean for us? A couple things. The first is everything that we do on Sunday mornings, throughout the week, any outreaches we have, anything we do, we say, or practice here at New Village, is to glorify God. It's not to build our little kingdoms here, not to build this little ministry here, but to build the kingdom of God. The second thing is our church should be known for our love for others, but I would say more importantly, and firstly, be known for our love for Jesus. You could have a church that loves the community so much, but if they don't love Christ, and that's not visible in how they treat people, it doesn't separate them from any other sort of nonprofit charity. So, as a church, we love others, but it stems from our love for Christ. We are commanded to love others, but we love them how Jesus has loved us. On the flip side, if we love, if we're known for our love for Jesus, but we never show it, we're hypocrites. We're not being faithful brides to Christ and His commandments. And another thing, this convicted me this week. We need to be careful how we treat the bride of Christ. How we treat His church. I once heard a preacher say that every time we complain, every time we gossip, every time we slander or talk bad about the church, we need to remember we're complaining, gossiping, slandering Jesus Christ's bride. That's a dangerous place to be. Right? It, it convicted me. There are times in my life where I've complained about ministry. There are times where I've complained rather than prayed. Remember, we're the bride of Christ. The church belongs to Him. 
So we see why our church on the local level, why New Village Church needs to be all about Jesus because we belong to him. But what does that look like? What does a church that's all about Jesus look like? What does it mean for us to be a church that's all about Jesus? Number two, the church worships Jesus. The church worships Jesus. From the beginning of Scripture, from Genesis, God creates us in his image. He creates us to be worshipers. And that worship belongs to Him alone. But something happens. After Adam and Eve's choice to sin, their rebellion against God, it doesn't take long to see the destructive nature, the rebellious nature of sin. It's not a question of do we still worship, but rather because of sin, who do we worship? What do we worship? Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Verse 21, Romans 1, 21. As you're turning there, Paul makes a pretty bold statement. He says that everybody worships. We all worship someone or something. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 is where I'll start. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. There's the idolatry. There's the worship due to the Creator to what? The creation. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Here it is. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We all worship something or someone. Each one of us in this sanctuary, in this building, have identified someone or something in our lives that we believe is worthy of our time, our resources, our money, our attention, our hearts, our joy, our attitude. And Paul tells us that what sin does is sin steals worship away from the Creator and it's given to created things instead. From the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment that God deals with Israel and tells them about has to do with instructions for worshiping. They're supposed to worship Him alone. In Exodus 20, it says, And the God spoke all these things, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before Me. God reminds the Israelites who He is, that He's God. He reminds them what He's done. He saved them from slavery. He's redeemed them from the Egyptians. He protected them. He delivered them. He rescued them. And He says, you shall have no other gods before Me. Nothing else is worthy of your worship. And as God throughout the Old Testament constantly reminds Israel, because they fail over and over and over again, and let's be honest, We fail over and over and over again. He reminds them who He is, what He's done. And in the New Testament, we see the reminder of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. That even in our mess-ups, we don't run away in fear. We run towards the cross. We embrace Jesus' sacrificial death for us on the cross. If you look at your notes, our church worships Jesus, letter A, why? Because He's worthy of it. Jesus is worthy of our praise. Jesus gives life. We read that in John chapter 5 a few weeks ago. 
But also in 1 John 5.11, it says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you might have eternal life. Life is written a lot in that verse. And what do we see? Jesus gives us life. Jesus saves us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that what? He gave us His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. So many times we forget verse 17 which follows it and it's just as beautiful. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Jesus redeems us. John 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus and proclaims He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Hebrews chapter 1, the author reminds us that Jesus is far above any other angelic being or spiritual being, and Jesus is worthy of our praise. I'll read just the one verse. It says, After making purification for our sins, He, which is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the seat of honor, the seat of excellence, having become so much superior to angels as, his, as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Oftentimes, people were worshiping spiritual beings and were just lumping Jesus into that spiritual being. But the author says, no, 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 no. Jesus is set apart from any other spiritual being. He's worthy. His name is excellent of praise. We see that Jesus is eternal God. John 1.1 In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And if you noticed... I quoted from John a lot in these verses. It's in your bulletin. The beauty of what we've been doing these past couple of months is we've been building a foundation on who is Jesus and why does it matter that Jesus is worthy of our praise. All these spiritual truths and biblical truths are found within these couple of chapters of John's Gospel. And there's so much more in there. So again, Jesus is worthy of our praise. The second reason why we worship or about worship is that worshiping Jesus is not just singing. Oftentimes we attribute the worship time in churches to what? The song time. Right? You might go home and say, oh, the worship time you know, was okay. Yeah, I didn't really like the worship songs they chose. Or man, worship was excellent. It was amazing. I loved it. Right? Oftentimes we attribute just worshiping God to lifting our voices, to singing to Him. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at other aspects of what it means to worship and, and, and what it looks like on a practical level. But for now, turn to Acts chapter 2. It was our scripture reading this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here we have Peter. The same Peter who declared who Jesus is, and then a few verses later, right, told Jesus, you don't have to die on the cross, and then Jesus reprimands him and says, get behind me, Satan. Right? The same Peter who we read all throughout the Gospels, the same Peter has the boldness. He preaches the Gospel. He tells the, the, Jewish, the Jewish people there that you have crucified the Messiah. That's a very bold message to preach to people. You've killed the Messiah. You slayed Jesus. You put Him on the cross. But there's forgiveness. And He preaches the Gospel, the good news. And in Acts 2, verse 42, we see people being baptized. People being drawn to salvation. They repent. And we see the first church happening. 
Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, I'll say it again, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early church worshipped Jesus. How? By being devoted to His Word. They would constantly, what? Listen to the apostles' teachings. Sit under the preaching. Learn. They had devotion to fellowship. They were a church that gathered day by day by day. They welcomed each other into each other's homes. Now some of you might be like, oh, no. I don't know if I want to do that. But what we see here, there's hospitality. They break bread together. They had a devotion to prayer. They were a praying church. They, were de- they had devotion to the physical and spiritual needs of each other. They were selling their possessions, what? To give to those who needed them. To give to those who had a need. And they did this all with an attitude of joy. I don't know if you caught that. It says they received their food with glad and with generous hearts. And that leads to the last aspect of why the the church worships. It matters where our heart is when we worship. Let her see. Our heart matters when we worship. Just because we're here, just because you show up at church, doesn't mean you worship God. Just because you sing along or just because you clap along with the songs or raise your hand doesn't mean you're worshiping God. Doesn't mean God's going to be pleased with it. Your heart matters. It matters in here. We could take it a step further. Just because you show up for a church work day, and maybe you've complained about it the whole car ride over. I don't want to be here. I don't think God's going to be. Great job, David. You, you served, and, and wow, you were such a blessing. It matters where our heart is. It matters. God is going to delight in our service when our heart is there, when our heart belongs to him, when we're doing it with joy. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees. He quotes from Isaiah saying, these people honor me with their lips. Right Externally, they're giving lip service. Everything that you're looking at the Pharisees, it looks good. They're doing good things on the outside. Seemingly. But he continues, but their heart is far from me. Notice the next verse. In vain do they worship me. Their worship is worthless. It's useless. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Right? When we gather for worship, we need to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. Again, I'm, I'm not making this up. I'm not saying this because I want the church to be a happier church. I'm saying this because it's a biblical truth. In Matthew chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Before you give your gift to the Lord, before you worship, go. 
First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. I would argue that's about the heart. That's about undealt with sin, of conflict, of something that's in someone's heart. That's what? Preventing them from truly worshiping the Lord. And Jesus says, go first, take care of that. Then come back and give your gift at the altar. Someone once said, you start preparing for church on Saturday night. It never really made sense to me until I started working at the church, until I started actually being in ministry. It matters. If I have a poor night's sleep or if I choose to stay up late and then I'm tired and I'm groggy and I'm cranky and and service the next morning, it matters. It affects my heart. I'll say this too. It matters on the car ride to church. Many times the car rides for church for me were often arguments. I don't want to wear that. I don't want to dress up. Do I have to go to church? I'm sick. I'm sick. I don't want to go to church. I don't feel good. Why do we go to church? No one else goes. How come I have to wear a tie? I don't want to wear a tie. Right? And then the whole car ride, I'm like this. And then I show up and I shake Sid Williams' hand. Good morning, Mr. Williams. How are you? Right? But inwardly, what? I don't want to be here. And I look back. God's not pleased with that. It matters where our heart is. A pastor once said, if you and your wife get into a disagreement before church, take the five minutes, start service five minutes late to go and reconcile, to go and make peace. And he quoted from Matthew chapter 5. Go, because what? That's going to affect my heart. Now, I know we do start church late often. I'm not saying every week. Please don't, don't, don't read between the lines. There's nothing to see there, right? But again, it... Worship's not simply singing songs to God. It's not simply showing up. But rather, worship's anything we do that elevates Jesus for his namesake, and we do it with joy. We do it with glad hearts. It's also not blindly following traditions or commands or or rules, but doing it all in joy for the name of Jesus Christ. That's Colossians 3. And it leads to the third thing this morning. The church proclaims the power of the gospel. As a church, yes, we're all about Jesus because we belong to him. He's worthy of our time, our service, our praise, our hearts, our joy, because he's God. But we're also called to proclaim the power of the gospel. And I'm going to ask a question. I want you to really think about it. Do you believe in its power? Do you believe in the power of the gospel? I'm going to fire off a bunch of verses, and I want you to listen for a key word. The word's going to be power. I want you to listen. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation that everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, full, with full conviction. It's hard to separate that word power and gospel of Jesus Christ. There's power in the gospel. 
It's not just a story or words in an old book. We know that through the Holy Spirit that these words in the Bible are not just ink on paper. They're not ink on pages, but these are alive. They're active. They transform hearts. They're powerful. And as a church, do we believe that? Do, do we? Do we believe that? In light of this, this biblical truth, I think there's two ways it should affect how we evangelize or, or how we act on that. The first is this. We don't need to add anything to God's word. It's powerful enough. We don't have to add anything to God's word. We don't have to add anything to the cross and what Jesus did to it, on, on it, gave up his life. It's enough. It's powerful enough. In ministry, there's always this temptation, right, of how do we get more people to come to church? How do we get the community here? Right? And most of the time, 99%, 99% of the time, it's for good reasons, right? We want people to hear the gospel. Sometimes it's for selfish reasons because people like having more people there. It makes you feel validated, and that's a sinful way of thinking. But in ministry, right, there's this temptation. Maybe we need a bigger stage. Maybe we need a smaller stage. Maybe we need more lights. Maybe we need less lights. Maybe we need new music. Maybe we need more old music. Maybe if only we had a better kids program. Maybe if the sermon was a little shorter. Maybe if there were more videos that were played. Right? To the extreme, this is just a crazy, there's a church that for their Easter egg hunt, they rented a helicopter and they dropped thousands and thousands of eggs, Easter, like candy eggs, plastic eggs, from a helicopter into the field for their Easter egg hunt. That's a pretty cool thing, but let's be honest, that, that's extreme. And what they're saying, right, here, here's what I think we're saying when we think this way. God, your word is good, there's power in the gospel, there's power in your name, Jesus, but I think I can make it better. I think I can make it a little better. I think I can make it more attractive. It's a, it's a crazy way to think. Just imagine if I said this Easter, hey church, invite your family and friends. I rented a helicopter. We're going to be dropping Easter. I, I would hope and pray that someone comes up to me and says, David, are you out of your mind? Why are you doing this? Well, because I want the people to come. I want them to see the helicopter. Right? We need to believe that God's word is powerful enough. Francis Chan, he, he had a quote, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'll try to get it as close as possible. He said, if we add anything to the word of God, we've already weakened it. We've weakened it. We, we've, we, we've ruined something that's perfect. There's power in the gospel. Jesus is powerful enough. He's powerful enough to transform dead hearts and make them alive. I just think of, of, of Paul. Jesus is powerful enough to take a man who hated the church, who persecuted the church, who approved of the stoning of Stephen, who had blood on his hands. And what did he say? I'm going to use you as my vessel, as my ambassador for the Gentiles. The power of the gospel transforms hearts. And the second thing, in light of this truth, that the church, we're to proclaim the gospel and its power, is we should be proclaiming it boldly. Boldly. Right? If we really believed in the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit convicting hearts in Jesus' death on the cross, we should be proclaiming it boldly. Not simply reading it, 
and, and, and reading the Bible, and then we, you know, we put it on our shelves, and then we, we come back next Sunday, oh, okay, I've got to get my Bible for, before church. Let me take it off the shelf again, you know, kind of get some of the, the dust off of it. Right. Do we go out and boldly proclaim and tell others the gospel? Now, being honest, this, this part's the scary part. Right? When, we, when we evangelize, when we tell people about the gospel, I think sometimes we always give that, that answer where it's like, well, this is just what I believe. You, know, you, you could, whatever you want. You know, that, this, or sometimes we shy away from it. Where we say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, how, how, can, I, can I pray for you? And they're like, what? What would you say? Well, can, I, can I pray for you? you know? It's like, no, proclaim it boldly. Don't shy away. At Camp Spofford, where I met my wife, they had a rock wall. It's like 20, 20 foot, uh, 25 feet high. How many of you have ever rock climbed before on a rock wall or anything like that? Okay, a, a couple, a few people. So when you're climbing up that wall, right, you're, this is the instruction you get. When you get to the top, you're supposed to let go. You let go. Right, so at camp, they, they put us into pairs, and as I, this was the week I met Stephanie, and somehow we got matched up. I didn't, I didn't plan that. I didn't. It was just I was God at work, I guess. Right, but we, we got matched up. So I'm, I'm what's called the, the anchor. I'm on the ground. I have her on belay, which is the rope system, and as she's climbing, I, I'm holding her tight. She gets up the wall. She lets go. She comes down. The camp director said, all right, David, it's your turn. I said, all right, who's my anchor? He said, Stephanie. I said, Chris, are you, are you serious? Stephanie? He said, yes. I said, all right. <laughs> you know, it's the first week of camp. I don't want to be a, a little baby. You know, I'm like, I'm going to climb up the rock while I'm halfway there. I'm like, all right, just keep going. I'm, I'm up there. I get to the top. I look down. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? She says, let go. I said, let go. Stephanie is half my weight. I don't know about the mathematics of the pulley systems and this. It doesn't make sense. I don't want to trust the rope. And actually, most rock climbing accidents happen at the camp on the descent because people don't trust the rope and they try to hold on and they fall and they scratch against all the, all the pegs and everything like that. And I'm commanded to let go. And I'm like, are you serious? All right, God, I, this is how you take me. This is how I go. And what did I do? I let go. And Stephanie held me, amazingly. I don't, I don't know the math behind it. She held me. She brought me down. And that story got me thinking. Sometimes when we're at the top of the wall, right, I had to trust in the power of my anchor, Stephanie, that she was following the rules, that I was on belay, that all the instructions were right, that I had to trust in the rope and the instructions. I had to let go. In the same way, when we go out and evangelize or proclaim the gospel, do we believe in its power? Do we have that faith in what Jesus has done for us? And I've been saying this over and over again. We don't save souls. We're not responsible for other people's salvation. We're responsible to go out and to preach the gospel, to plant seeds, as we use that farming metaphor, but we're not called to go out and transform hearts. I can't do that. If I claim to do it, I'm a liar, and I'm actually against God's word. But what do we read? That Jesus, God, transforms hearts. The Holy Spirit comes in, and we looked at the story of Nicodemus, of being born again, that new life is given. Right? Do we believe in the power of the gospel? Do we proclaim it boldly? Do we have faith in its saving power? As an encouragement, I want to say this. It is scary. Sometimes it is uncomfortable. 
Sometimes I feel like I don't know enough. What if they ask this? What if they trip me up? What if, what if, I, what if I make something up? If, you know, what, what if all these? The Holy Spirit will give you and me wisdom, discernment, as we tell others about the gospel. He'll be with us. He'll guide us. He'll give us patience and power to go out and to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The best answer you can give to someone if they ask a question that you don't know the answer to when sharing the gospel is this. I don't know. That's a great, that's a great question. Let me get back to you. You don't need to make anything up, but boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is eternal God who came from heaven to earth, who lived the perfect life none of us can ever live, who when he died on the cross, he took on our sin, our shame. He took the wrath of God that's due to me, David Moore, on the cross as he died. And what? All who believe in his name, as he, gets, as he comes back to life three days later, ascends up to heaven and is glorified, all those who believe in his name will be saved. Amen. Do we boldly believe that? Do we boldly proclaim the power of the gospel? I hope and pray this week that God will give us an opportunity. I pray that he gives me an opportunity, but also all of us in this room, to stand bold on the power of the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Thank you for the reminder that we, as your church, belong to you. That we are the bride of Christ. Lord, I pray that in all we do, we, we, we remain faithful. That we don't abandon the first love, our first love, which is you, Jesus. I pray that even as we continue to do ministry events here at the church and, and, and continue to do worship services on Sunday mornings, I pray we never lose fact that it's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about the preacher. It's not about the songs. It's not about the building. But it's all about you, Jesus. I pray over these next couple of weeks that we'll be encouraged by what your word says in different ways that we can worship you. That worship is not simply singing, but there's other aspects or disciplines when it comes to worshiping. Lord, I pray for boldness as we go out. I pray for courage. I pray that we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and boldly proclaim the gospel truth that Jesus, you are our Lord and Savior who loved us and died for us for our sins on the cross and that for all who believe in your name will be saved and by the power of the Holy Spirit can be born again into your kingdom, adopted as sons and daughters. Jesus, I pray you encourage us this week. And I pray even as we sing this last song, it's a reminder that you alone are worthy of our praise. Protect us from idolatry. Protect us from giving worship to anything or anyone else. Help us to have our eyes fixed on you. And we just pray this all in your name. Amen.